Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. There will not be a Q&A next week. I'm going to be preparing for Retro World Expo and meeting up with a bunch of people and getting ready to hang out with all of you. So there will be no Q&A next week, but hopefully I'll be able to post some kind of fun subscriber-only content just to kind of make up for it. But either way, if you want to ask a question just wherever this Q&A is found, wherever it is that you support, ask your question there, and just keep letting them pile up, and I'll get back to it two weeks from now. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Floatplane, Alberix has a question, and the context is this is mostly for the stream setup they bring to their Melee Weeklies that uses two VGA monitors with a Wii Dual modded Wii that at the moment they have outputting sync on green. On Extron boxes like the RGB192, what's the difference between the local monitor output and the main output other than the connector? Um, local monitor, I believe, is a pass-through. Now, I could be wrong. I have that model, but I've used so many of those Extron boxes, it's kind of hard because I also had the 201, 203 RXI, the 580-something. I had stacks of those at one point, but I think... I'm pretty sure that one of these outputs is always a pass-through, and then the other one is actually doing the processing. So, what you know, what goes in comes out. If you feed it RGB-HV, that's what you're getting out of it. If you're feeding RGSB, that's what you're getting out of it. So, I'm pretty sure. You might want to double-check the manual, because Extron still posts all of their manuals. But I think it's a pass-through, and I think it's a safe pass-through. It is not like a Y cable that I always warn against. Um, but let me keep going. They had a surprisingly hard time getting a solid answer from Google other than it being separately buffered, right? That means it's not you're not splitting the circuit in a bad way, but they know that doesn't necessarily mean there's any added delay. No, there's no... So buffered meaning buffering the signals so that it supports multiple outputs, not buffering like a frame buffer. So there's no lag added there. Um, and, and I just want to be clear about that. None of these interfaces that change syncs add any latency unless it's something like a digital processor like the super emotions but just the rgb boxes pass rgb the rgb lines straight through where it, with a safe split and it processes the sync on those so to continue are there any rgb interfaces that both have two rgb hv outputs and two audio outputs they did get a separate audio distribution amp for use with the SS200 for their Melee stream setup, but it just added so much to the setup that they ended up just using an HDMI splitter with DAX. Would it probably be better if they just stuck to that? Or it would probably be better, but it's a shame to let the Wii Duel's nice DAC go to waste. They know there are VGA distribution amps that include audio, but all they could output right now is RGSB. C-Sync's on the wrong pin, and apparently setting up the Wii Duel for RGBHV is hacky and weird. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things you could do. Your overall setup, and maybe I should have read your question straight through and then answered, but I, I like doing this in real time as if we're just having a conversation. So the overall better thing for your setup might be outputting HDMI 480p to a splitter or one of those matrix switchers that I showed um, in that video I did a couple weeks ago. And that way you could have one HDMI out for your stream and then you could have another HDMI out go to a HDMI to VGA converter and also break out audio, whether it's digital or whatever the conversion is in there. So that might be easier overall because you could very easily get cheap HDMI to VGA converters that work great. 
The other thing to note is that if you're just splitting audio to two sources, it is totally okay to use a Y cable in that scenario. You might add some more ground noise or a hum, but it's not likely, and this will not harm any of the equipment connected to it. Uh, even though Steve has been telling us this for years, and even after we posted that video showing the oscilloscope proving that it's safe, I still get comments now and then like, you know, you're a moron, you're going to explode your PVM by doing that. No, the answer is a hard no, and we proved it. So if you just need to get audio to two sources, then or two targets, I mean, then just using a Y cable for that would be fine. So I would have a think about all of this and then kind of come back. And if you have any other questions, let me know. But it sounds like a very cool setup. But it does also sound like there's multiple ways to solve this. So my suggestion is always try using the equipment you already own so it's free. But if you do need to go out and buy some stuff, just take a step back and look at the big picture because you could probably do it real cheap and get an excellent setup with no latency at all. Okay, now over on Patreon, Ishan said, for the wireless headset question from last week, the Sennheiser RS line of head headsets are pretty good. There's RF, so there's no lag, and while the prices on Amazon are ridiculous, you could find some good deals on eBay. They bought the RS-175 brand new on eBay back in 2019 for $65, and it supports 3.5mm audio and optical audio. The sound quality is superb, and it works with everything. They simply plug it into the 3.5mm jack on their TV, uh, on their TV speakers, which are some just some Bose speakers they use with a headphone output. So thanks very much for uh, chiming in on those. I'm always looking for good recommendations for stuff like that. Um, and I'm not sure if the person from last week needed that or something else, but if, uh, you know, if my suggestion of just using wireless headsets made him think, then that's a great, great solution. The Tonal Assassin wanted to follow up with the discussion from last week of finding an external capture card that could do lossless captures so that whatever they feed it doesn't get destroyed in the capture. And they just confirmed that they're using a RetroTINK 2X, which is 480p. So that completely changes the game. It is so much easier to capture 480p lossless. And on top of that, the RetroTINK 2X outputs 422, I believe, not 444. So for composite in this video, that's zero difference. Uh, if you're feeding it component video, you might see a little bit of difference in the colors, but don't forget, when these products were released, the two alternatives were the incredibly expensive Framemeister or the OSSE, which was awesome and still is awesome, but doesn't have composite and S-video inputs. So one of the many reasons I loved the Tink 2X is not just because price first performance, but also for streaming. You don't have to buy some expensive capture card. You can get a lot of cheaper ones that do an excellent job with 480p that you basically get a one-to-one -one capture of what the RetroTINK is putting out. So if that's the case and you're just doing 480p, I would get a used external capture card um, and just, you probably want to double or triple check the specs, but there's a lot out there that you could get 480p and it looks really good. So just do a little bit of research into that, but you could get a cheap, good solution for this one. Sean McFarland just placed an order for the Mr. Multisystem and wanted to know my thoughts on it. I love it. In my setup, uh, you could just sort of, sort of kind of see it down there where I'm pointing to, but I, I love it for a bunch of reasons. Um, it's flat and wide, not stacked, so it fits better on that setup. Uh, all of the cables are coming out the back, except for the controller that's coming out the front. So it looks and feels way more like a console 
than anything else. The performance-wise, it's pretty much the same as the rest, which is not a compliment or a dig. It's just they're all performing like they're supposed to. So props to everybody who makes decent cases. But I absolutely love it. And that's one that is just going to sit in my setup forever, pretty much. And the only thing I would want to change it out with is similar ones to it that have been teased but never released, where it looks and feels like a console. So for me personally, that's my favorite case just because it's more of a console experience. My second favorite case is the Retro Castle one, because while yes, it has wires coming from absolutely every direction like a weird science project, it's very small and compact. So you don't have this big clunky thing. It just it jams all of the features into one small little case. It's really cool. Uh, and now uh, Ivory, the person who runs the Retro Castle store, is also offering things like the Sega Saturn output. So you get composite S video and RGB SCART. You can get the D subversion if you're uh, if you want to use component video out. And it has both of those have power buttons built in. So, yeah, those are definitely my two favorites. Quark's Aluminum are my third, but I've never liked the stacked design. I've told him that a million times. He doesn't care. He, you know, Quark likes to design what he likes to design. So, uh, but I just, I don't like stacked. It looks weird. It doesn't feel like a console. Um, it's much taller and bulkier than the Retro Castle one, but it looks beautiful. Those aluminum cases are gorgeous. And once again, performance-wise, they're all good, which is, you know, once again, I'm not like shitting on somebody that's not a backhanded compliment. They all perform exactly as they should to the limitations of all of the I.O. boards. So any issues you have, you'd probably have on all of them. So I, I like them all. But um, but yeah, the the, the Mr. Multisystem, uh, with respect to the other two, has been my favorite because it actually feels like a console. Um, also, Sean is looking for a good quality, reasonably, reasonably priced LCD monitor. Folks over on the Mr. Discord suggested 1440p. They found the HP X27Q, which claims FreeSync Premium support. Wondering if that means 1920 by 1440 will work correctly with it. Someone says how the, the monitor, somehow the monitor chooses stretching or not. Seems like this would be determined by how the FreeSync Premium spec is implemented. What's my thoughts on this monitor and other LCD options these days? Um, I, it is my opinion. I don't have facts to back this, back this up. I've only tried 10-ish monitors. I'm by no, no means a monitor review channel. But it is my opinion that a few things. First, I would get over 60 hertz because there's just so many cool things coming that allows you to uh, to run it in 120 frames per second, any PC gaming or any kind of emulation might add that. Uh, so I, I think the world is really starting to come around to see what you could do with higher frame rates, um, even just for latency. So I would get one, personally, I'd get a 120 or 144 hertz monitor. The resolution of 1920 by 1440 means that you should be able to run Mr. in its highest modes, so you get the most detail out of it. Um, you should be able to use uh, you should be able to use both of the Mr. modes that the new one that was implemented that fakes the widescreen for exact situations like you were talking about. Maybe the monitor would stretch it or not, but either way, you should be able to use monitor controls. FreeSync is excellent because then you don't have to worry about the refresh rate. The only thing that I will definitely add to this, and this is opinion, this is not fact, but 
I have tried a lot of 1440p configurations with Mr. and with the RetroTINK 5X. You do get a little bit more sharpness and you do get a little bit more detail in the CRT mask, but I still prefer 1080p 5X almost every single time, like 99% of the time. And the more I play with consumer grade CRTs and do some testing on it, the more I realize that I was a little too polite in my 5X scaling video about overscan. It really is a pretty darn accurate match to what consumer grade CRTs would be. And you get the added bonus of filling more of the horizontal space without stretching. So it's really up to you. Um, if price is a factor, you could probably get a 1080p, 120 or 144 hertz monitor with FreeSync for cheaper than a 1440. Um, but if price isn't an issue, 1440 is going to be awesome. You're going to have a little bit of black bars on the top and bottom for certain things. Um, you're going to see borders. On, you're going to see the whole overscan area. But maybe you don't care. Uh, and there's not a wrong choice here. So I just want to make sure. I know I, I annoy people by continuously saying my opinion. But I want to be clear in case you're out jogging or on the subway listening to this. That last bit was all my opinions. They're both awesome. So I would kind of just take all that into account and pick whichever you felt like. Richard Webster wants to know if I have any info or updates on RGB mods or bypasses for the non-one-chip Super Nintendo and Super Famicom consoles. So a very, very quick history. The later model SNESs either output beautiful RGB or, in the case of the Mini, can be easily modded to output gorgeous RGB. All of the ones that didn't have the one-chip design, so sometimes you refer to them as three chips or two chips, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The non-one chips are much blurrier. Some are flat-out terrible, but most are fine, they're just a little bit blurrier. And there's been a lot of experiments over the years to try to clear that up. And some work in some cases and not others. One that I have sitting over there works in all cases, but it's an incredibly complicated mod at the moment. And there have been rumors of other ones coming out that are better. And one of them should have been out six months ago. One of them's canceled indefinitely because it uses an FPGA that is in the part shortage. So we probably wouldn't see that resurface again for another year or so. But basically, the short answer is there's nothing today. And the moment there is, the moment there's something that everybody would benefit from knowing about, I will definitely post about it. And I mean that with respect. I don't mean that with any kind of negativity at all. But the ones that are out there now are either really complicated and you still got to get the FPGA, assemble it yourself, or they're just not consistent. And it's, you know, it's, I, I stopped arguing with people about this because it's that mentality of I installed it in mine, played two games, and it's gorgeous. Why aren't you writing it up? Well, you didn't test a lot of games. You didn't test a lot of console revisions. You haven't gone through what we all go through when we release a product like this. So that's why I haven't talked about it on the main Retro RGB podcast or the site, because none of them are done or, or good enough for everybody. But if you are a super nerd and you like modding and you like messing around with the stuff, and you can go into a project knowing that you're going to redo it at some point in the future, then yeah, just Google around, check out some of the mods that people have been doing, you know, provide some feedback, help do that testing, but you're probably going to find that it either doesn't really work that well for you, it uh, or, or it works fine for some games and not others, or it's just a, a nightmare to install. So, uh, I mean, all that with love, good things are coming, 
but I think it's still kind of in the development phase or, or impossible going down certain routes for it. But, hey, I hope I'm wrong. I hope tomorrow somebody goes, no, that mod you've been ignoring is perfect. We just fixed the last component on it, and now it's great. But the last I heard of that, it's, um, it's still not for everybody. It's still just more of an expert thing. But there's stuff coming, I hope. The Remora just won an auction for a 3DO that was advertised with a dead disk drive. They plan to recap it and see if they can get the drive working until their ODE ships, but until then have I ever used any of svideo.com products. They're looking at getting some of their svideo to BNC cables to use with the 3DO until the chip shortage ends and retro gaming stuff starts selling the RGB mod again. Alternatively, are there any S-Video to RGB or YPBR, YPBPR solutions out there? They already have the an RGBS to YPBPR solution, but one conversion is preferable to two. So uh, for S-Video, the only thing out there that I know of that you could consistently buy is the CoreU transcoder. Now, there are stuff out there from Xtron. There are a bunch of older devices out there that were designed with TV signals in mind, so you never know how that's going to work with crazy video game signals. But the CoreU should do what you need, and because it's S-Video, the comb filter thing shouldn't really come into effect because I have seen situations where I plugged just out of testing, I plugged composite video directly into a monitor that has an awesome comb filter and it looked better than going into the core U and then the core U with component video into that monitor. But S video should have, as long as you're using shielded cables should not have that issue at all. So I think that if that's what you're looking to do, that should be a good solution. It's not cheap. So I would recommend it if it's, going to either be a tool in your toolbox or something that you could use for other consoles. I'm not sure I would recommend it for just one, but take a look at it. It's pretty neat. I'll leave links to, you know, any of my testing with it here. Um, but that that should be it. As far as svideo.com, I don't remember if I've ever bought anything from there, but, uh, you know, if they make svideo to BNC cables and advertise them as shielded, can't imagine it's going to be terrible but the next time i need one i'll definitely order from them and you know i'll post a mini review on the website or something but no no experience that i could remember but i've been doing this stuff for so long i probably have five of their cables and don't even remember on a different tangent they remember that they have an amazon hdmi to component video converter that they picked up from my amazon store would i recommend it or an hdmi to vga for 1080p to a datapath vision um I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, respectfully, why would you need why would you need that converter to go to a data path vision? Um, it's a DVI input, but it's a DVI I. So you could either use an HDMI to DVI converter, or you could just go directly in with analog using a DVI A converter. But you don't need to convert the signal; you just need to convert the pinout. So unless I'm missing something from your question, which it's, it's a possibility, you know, it's still early, but uh, I think all you would need is just a basic converter. Uh, what I would suggest without a doubt is putting a device between it. So like this, I really do keep this thing right here. That was not bullshit in that video. I keep this HDMI 2.0B splitter right here next to me because this is what I use to go into my data path vision. And the reason is that even though it will accept HDMI signals, it's designed for DVI. So on higher resolutions or longer cables, you get green speckles all over the screen. It's really annoying. So what I like to do is take one of these 
and then I take a really nice, they're all of them listed in the Amazon store, by the way, but it, you take output one from this and you get a nice HDMI to DVI cable, not a converter, and a short one. Get one that's like three feet and leave this sitting on top of your computer or next to it or something. And I power this right off of the computer and then it extracts the audio three different ways so you could capture the audio as well. And this ends up being my HDMI converter, if you will, because you're only sending the signal down a three-foot cable, so you could send a 1440p signal and not get green speckles, but then you also have an HDMI input. You have an, a way to tell your HDMI device to, if you need to, to only send it 2.0 audio or just copy it, and then you also have another output that goes to a monitor if you need to preview it, and that helps with compatibility with PlayStation 3 and stuff like that. So... Um, if you're going digital signals into a data path vision, this is as close to a must-buy as you could possibly get. The only other solutions would be the other stuff I reviewed in that video. So uh, I think that's what you're looking for. But please clarify me if I'm, if I'm misunderstanding that. And thank you very much for the kind words. Sal just got their hands on a PC engine, which they plan on outfitting with a brand new shell. The Retro Gamer Store shells are awesome. I'll leave a link to those. And the Super HD System 3 Pro. They know using Japanese system in the U.S. is a power issue, so what do they need to do this the right way? A triad power supply. Period. End of story. Um, you linked to a power converter, which is fine, but the triads are cheaper, and the ones that we have spec'd out on Castlevania's website and that Firebrand X spec'd out on his site all have more than enough amps to power both the console and the SHD S3 divided by six. It's the longest name ever. But uh, yeah, the triad is absolutely your answer for that one because it's totally safe to use in US power. And if you're somebody that lives in two places, you have a place in Japan and the US, just get the international version, which comes with the different plug connectors on it. So I'll leave a link to all of that, but that is absolutely the easiest way around it and totally safe to use. So give that a shot and, uh, and I'll leave links to everything in the description. Adam Adam Ant has a question that's both very hard and very easy to answer. So I'll do the easy stuff first just to get it out there and then I'll try my best to add some detail to it. But the question is basically, what do you look for when buying aftermarket power supplies for classic consoles? Both how to choose the voltage and amperage and what do you look for when testing on a multimeter or oscilloscope? The very easy answer to that is you take the research that people who are experts in power have already done and you just take the easy way out and buy the ones that people have already determined are the right ones for this exact answer. Uh, and the reason that you could have power supplies that are slightly different voltage than the original is because of the tolerance of the chips. Many of them are designed to work at a range of power, not exact power. Not all though. So like you don't want to plug a 9-volt power supply into a 5-volt Neo Geo, but you could plug a 9-volt power supply into some that use 7.5 volts or 12 volts. And the easy answer, to complete the easy side of things, is, is just use the research that people who actually know what they're talking about, not me, I'm only like 80% there with power, maybe 70% there with power, <laughs> but take the research that people who are all the way there have done, and that's how you choose your power supplies. 
to actually go into detail as to what to look for and why there are some differences and why you could use some on others is pretty interesting. And it's not something that I'm good enough at this to explain. But what you're looking for when you're doing these measurements is under load, meaning with the console drawing as much power as you know how to make it draw. So for a Genesis, plug in some wireless controllers and, you know, the uh, very fast and powerful ROM cart like the Mega SG or um, SD or the Mega EverDrive Pro. Sorry, all these names sound so close. I get them confused. But basically plug everything into it at once and then you use a multimeter to determine how much amperage is being drawn and that's how you could determine that. But then you put the power supplies on with them. Make sure the power supply does not drop below a certain amperage or voltage. Uh, and you got to make sure the power is on the cleaner side, not the dirty side. So it gets really complicated. It definitely gets over my head and I need help when I'm digging in deep because for me personally, if I'm just like, Hey, is this the right power supply for this console? It's un unlabeled. I, you know, it's marked up. I could figure that out. No problem. But to do it in a way where I would have to present a review and data, I always ask my friends cause it starts to get pretty complicated on this stuff. And as far as like, some people say it's okay to use certain power supplies on certain other consoles. Um, most of the info out there is wrong. And I don't mean that as a dig. It's just people do something once, it works, so they tell everybody about it, and then they realize it was the wrong thing. But it, it's really one of those things that you want to double-check good info. So uh, I would always reference, like, the HD Retrovision website has a bunch of extra info on it. When it comes to power supplies, I always just say to use the triads because there's been so many people testing those things. Uh, it, and just it's one of those things where you hit the numbers of how many people have tested those versus how many people have tested the others. It's just, like, imagine a pie chart where most of it's just Pac-Man chomping down type of thing. So if you want more details on that, I could probably point you in the right direction. But it's basically one of those things where just be very careful with what you plug into your consoles. Don't use any of those cheap bargain bin ones. If it's got like a bunch of pigtails on it and says for Genesis, Nintendo and Super Nintendo, ugh, I wouldn't trust it. Those $8 power supplies that are, that are all those, I, I don't know about that. So... I would just, uh, I would kind of d decide how deep you want to go in. If this is stuff that you're interested in, by all means, nerd out, go in deep, you know, look up different articles on power, look up different things. But if you really are just worried about console safety, um, I would just get a bunch of triads and be done with it because you don't have to worry about good OEM power supplies getting bad and dying. You don't have to worry about trying to use your Genesis power one power supply on like 10 different things. You could just kind of get brand new stuff that everybody's tested and seems to be working okay. So hopefully that was a good answer and not a bullshit answer. But if you want more details, let me know and I'll see where I could point you. Clint Collage just picked up their first PVM, an Olympus OEV-143, which I believe is the exact same as a 14-inch Sony PVM, which is awesome. And they're going to be using it on their workbench for testing right next to a large LCD, and they want to output to both of those. So they're wondering the best way to do that. And luckily, this is super easy. Um, Clint mentioned that they're eventually going to be running things through a GSCART switch, uh, but at the moment, they're only going to be having one thing hooked up at a time, and the PVM isn't always going to be powered on. So everything is going to fall right into place. I would just get a SCART 
to or a BNC to SCART cable that's wired for output. You mentioned you already have one uh, that's wired the other way. Yes, you could do the mod to swap the audio and sync pins, or you could message somebody like WookieWin on eBay, just buy that cable and then message them, you know, hey, could you make it the other direction because I'm going from a PVM to an OSSC. Or you could go to Retro Gaming Cables and get the model they have with a Switch. I have two of those, and those are my favorites because if I'm going this exact scenario from my PVM to a, a Tink or an OSSC for streaming, I flip the switch one way. Or if I'm going from my GSCART switch to a monitor, I flip the switch the other way. Totally up to you. If you already have one, uh, you know, I, I would just use whatever it is that you already have to save money. But if you were needing extra cables anyway, just buy the other one. Uh, and that's pretty much it. You don't have to worry about sync with the monitor as long as, because whatever you feed it is what it passes through. And it will still pass through when it's off as well. So, for example, if you're going through a GSCART switch, then it's going to be outputting the proper voltage, so you don't have to worry about anything. If you're plugging SCART cables directly into it, and your SCART cables were manufactured by any of the major manufacturers, that's going to have correct voltage on the output. So you don't have to worry about that as well. Uh, so it sounds like everything that you got is perfect for this scenario. It sounds like an awesome monitor too. So I think this is actually going to be a very easy one. It was a you know two or three minute talk to get to there, but I, I think you're on the right track. I don't think you have anything to worry about. And I think you're going to have a very cool setup. And the other bonus too, is if you ever wanted to stream, you could do this exact same thing. Just instead of uh, you could either add an HDMI splitter, so one goes to your TV, one goes to your capture card, or if that's not a thing you're going to do a lot, you could just unplug the HDMI cable from your large LCD monitor, plug it into a capture card, and game on your PVM. And there you go. There's your split capture solution as well. So congrats on the new monitor, uh, but I think this is going to be an easy one for you. Next up, Portugeek wants to know if there's a standalone mod that gives the N64 the ability to in-game reset. And I don't know if anybody has made that board yet. I know, I th think that you could add that functionality if you have one of the more expensive, fancy RGB or HDMI mods, but I don't think there's a standalone board for it. And I don't believe the EverDrive 64X7 has an in-game menu or in-game reset. I could be wrong about that, but I don't use my N64 very often. But what it could do is just get a remote-controlled AC adapter. Um, they're cheap. They're like 15 bucks. You plug it into the wall, plug both your N64s into it. And when you want to reset, you hit off on the remote and then back on. Uh, and there you go. I wouldn't do it very quickly. I would hit off, like count to three, and then hit it back on again. But that could work. Um, and it's cheap, and you don't have to mod anything. And it could work with any of your consoles. But that's that's just about the easiest, cheapest thing I could think of. Um, unless, for whatever reason that feature is in the EverDrive and I'm not remembering. So you might want to just get the latest firmware and double check every setting on it, which I guess would apply to any EverDrive, but give that a shot and see. But if not, I'll leave a link to, um, to one of the remote controlled power things that I've used before. Felipe had a suggestion that I take my tutorials of how to do the PCB assembly service for JLC PCB and make one video about it for people who want to do the same thing. And I love that idea, but there's kind of two issues with it. First is just simply time. I have so much stuff here that is my friends 
that they've been kind enough to lend me so I could test with them, shoot some footage, do some videos. And it's about time that I get all that stuff back to everybody. That's why my friend's stuff has been making appearance in a lot of these other videos. Uh, so I need to just get through those and then just kind of try to get on some regular schedule. And every video I make takes time. Those the The ads that I made, I can't just squish them together because they were shot to be broken apart into pieces. And those did take quite a long time. So I would have to reshoot everything. I would have to retake a lot of the footage. I could I could reuse some of the screenshots and stuff, but that's, that's basically it. So time is number one. And number two is... You know, as much as I'm honest about saying that I've been using JLC PCB for years, they are now a sponsor. So that's one of those things I would have to talk about with them because I'm not going to do a free video for a sponsor. Like it's it's one of those weird things where on the surface it immediately sounds greedy. Like oh, you you know you're going to have to ask for money every time you make something. Well, they are a global company, and I am sending them business, so that is how that works. <laughs> so while I love your idea, Felipe, and I love the other people that have done it, I it just first I got to find the time, and then I want to discuss with them. And they've also had good feedback. They've never told me like, "Hey, don't say that, don't do that." Like they like that I'm just being me, but they've very often said, like, "Hey, don't forget to leave a link to the new 15% off discount." special that we're running, like positive things that you would want to know about. So I'd want to discuss it all with them. But I'd also, if I was going to do a dedicated video, I'd want to put a lot of effort into it, like I usually do for these bigger production videos. And I'd like to work with them. And I'd also like to get paid for it. Because as much as the unemployed trolls like to tell you that if you love something, you should just do it for free, that that's not how life works. Affiliate links, the one sponsor and especially support from all of you wonderful people is how I get these projects done and how I get to pay the bills. So without that, you can't have one without the other. So I'd love to talk to them about that. Hopefully they'd be into it. But um, And thank you for the suggestion. I think it's great, but I, I think that's probably at least a few months out and we'll have to make it all work for everybody. But I hope so. I think that's a great idea. And since Felipe was kind enough to bring up sponsorships and all that other stuff, I just figured I would take a moment for some cheesy self-promotion. All of these videos and everything I do is basically funded by you. So all of the consulting work I do on other products in retro gaming, all of the research that I do, and of course the weekly podcasts and articles are only existing because of amazing people like you who support. So if you're in a position where you're able to take on one of the monthly support services, that's awesome. But if not, I just wanted to politely remind everybody that you could still support the channel by spreading the word. That is the number one thing. Spread the link to the support services and the support page on the website. That is the biggest thing you could do to help for free. But also on that support page, there are affiliate links to eBay and Amazon, where if you click on those, you could then go buy the exact same thing you were going to buy anyway for the exact same price, but we get a couple pennies on the dollar and all of that stuff adds up. Um, you know, you might think, oh, I'm only buying something for five bucks. I'm not going to, you know, Bob's only going to get half a penny on it. If enough people do that, that stuff really does start to add up. So just wanted to let everybody know, thank you, but also how to support if you enjoy these and if you want to contribute to the work that we're all a part of. All right, back to the Q&A's. Next up is a question from a brand new Patreon subscriber. Welcome and thank you. Did you just hear my ad and join from that? 
stupid jokes aside, they had a quick question that they can't seem to find a simple answer for. They're looking into buying a RetroTINK 2X Pro, but they were a little confused as to why progressive scan mode isn't supported. Why is this? They're pretty proud to finally be able to enable progressive scan thanks to HD RetroVision, so they're a little worried about introducing any loss through the 2X Pro. Can I shed some light on this for you? No problem. So this is an easy but might be disappointing answer. The chips inside the RetroTINK 2X line of products, with the exception of the multi-format, which was discontinued because of the part shortage, but all of the RetroTINK 2X products other than that one have chips in it that only support 15 kilohertz video. So 240p and 480i, but not 480p. And to change the design would require an entire chip and board change, which is what happened with the M, which is what led to the 5X, which is what you have now. So that is the simple answer to it, but it gets a little bit deeper than that, because if you're talking about getting HD retrovision cables for the Wii, the PlayStation 2, um, using the Wii cables on the Xbox, getting 480p progressive scan mode, it's not just about interlace versus progressive. Now you don't have to worry about any of the deinterlacing effects that happen. You get a lot more native resolution. It's a much more, it's a much bigger jump than like 480p to 720p. I think most people would agree that 480i or, or is a much bigger jump to 480p than 480p to 720. So if something like that's important to you, you're going to want to purchase either the RetroTINK 5X or the open source scan converter. Now, there's a few other things to take into account. I'm not going to try to overcomplicate things on you, but um, you could buy multiple devices and unplug and replug depending on what resolution you're in. And if you already had those devices, you could save some money. But I don't like to recommend that to anybody who's not an expert or, or high in the intermediate side. And I don't mean any disrespect by that. I just mean it's just going to get confusing and you're going to run into situations where you just wish you got what you needed. So in that choice, in that situation, I have two suggestions. If the only things you're plugging in are component video, RGB SCART, or even VGA, grab an open source scan converter. You could just leave it in generic mode. It'll look great. You could take advantage of some of the other settings on it. It'll pass through all of those different resolutions. If your TV is compatible, it'll double 480p to 960p. So it really is a great device. But if you're looking for also composite video and S-video, then I would get the RetroTINK 5X. It also has all those awesome scanline filters, a whole bunch of different options, motion adaptive deinterlacing. But that way, everything's taken care of, and you don't have to worry about multiple devices. You just get everything right in one spot. So I would suggest checking out first the RetroTINK 5X video, and uh, I'll leave a link to both. We did I did the launch video, and then Mike and I did a live stream where we went over some of the newer features. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll also leave a link to the OSSC video. And you could kind of decide for yourself based on features and budget, which is better for you. But that is the answer why the 2X line can't do 480p, just because the chips were designed for 15 kilohertz analog video, and why I think you might want to look into any of those other options. So hopefully I pointed you in the right direction, and once again, welcome and thank you. Plutonio has a question regarding the PlayStation 1 GunCon and the sync signal that it needs. They got a GunCon a couple days ago, and it bought it specifically with the original Namco adapter that passes the video signal and adds a composite jack for the gun signal. But the adapter is missing the green signal pin, so it's unusable. 
Not sure what that means, but I'll continue. Uh, the SCART switch I'm using, they're using at the moment has a composite video output that's independent from the SCART RGB video out. So they think what it's doing is splitting the composite signal into two outputs. They never use that composite port to display video because it's essentially the same as a Y cable, but would it be safe to plug the RCA jack from the GunCon into it? Yes. Logically, it seems like it would be identical to what the Namco adapter does, but they're not sure. They've tried and it works fine. The signal on the monitor doesn't visually change, but they're still concerned. So I was curious about this myself, and I connected one of these to an oscilloscope and tried every combination of plugging it in, and the signal didn't change. So what that means is it's pulling the signal without termination. Um, so like when you see those BVM monitors that have the 75 ohm terminators on the back, that is a visual example of what's going on inside all of these monitors where the video signal enters it. That 75 ohm to ground termination is basically what finalizes the video signal. And when you put a Y cable on it, you're essentially putting two 75 ohm terminators on it, which is the problem. Now, when you use one of these gun cons, there is no to ground termination. It's basically just siphoning off the sync signal and then passing the rest of it through. So this is one of those rare, rare scenarios where that's totally fine because you're not sending it to two video targets. You're not sending it to two displays. You're still only sending it to one display, but the gun con itself is kind of just reading the signal as it passes through. I think that's a pretty decent way to explain it. Um, but the test that you made is a great one for you to do. You have nothing plugged into your the composite port or your SCART switch. You're watching your TV. You plug in the gun con and the signal doesn't change. That is a great way to double check that it's working properly. Because if the signal got dimmer, there's some termination somewhere and you should immediately unplug it. But you did your own double checking. I did my checking on the scope and it seems like that would be a perfect solution for you. I'd love to do a mini video on that one day just because it would only be a five minute video and it wouldn't take four days to shoot and edit. Uh, so, but I think that's a, a pretty neat piece of information that people should know, but only in the context of light guns that have the composite port. There's really not many other scenarios in which that would work, but I, I would love to do a video on that just to show people just for the peace of mind knowing that it's safe to do, but great question. Jason Guffey had a pretty interesting idea, and I don't really have anything to add now, but I'm going to ask some questions behind the scenes about this, and if any of you have any thoughts, I would love to hear anybody's answer. But Jason wanted to try an experiment. Let's say you have a game that's locked at 30 frames per second. It never goes higher. Maybe it goes lower, but it never goes higher than 30 frames per second. And you're playing it on a 60 hertz display, what would happen if you added black frame insertion every other frame? Um, so that way you have, out of the 30 frames, instead of doubling it to 60, you have one frame, completely black frame, one frame. Would that allow for smoother motion? Would that improve the look? Would the latency created, would, if you have to buffer something like that, just offset what you gain from it? Uh, and I really like the idea. I don't know how it's going to look. W with all respect to you, Jason, maybe this is useless. I still like the idea because this reminds me of a lot of the ideas I come up with end up being totally useless. <laughs> but the theory is good and it's worth exploring. 
So Jason reached out to Fudo to ask for some suggestions, who's a person that I reach out to for suggestions as well. Um, and one of them was maybe rig up a scan line generator. So instead of just dimming every other line, it dims the whole picture and then rig it up so it dims out every other line. So I wouldn't even know where to begin because how do the frame, how do those um, uh, scan line generators work? What are the chips that are in it? Are they even reprogrammable? Or is it something that's based on some kind of code that you would have to rewrite? So I, I think I'll reach out in, to a few people and see what they think. And maybe this is something that we could rig up like a beta firmware for an existing thing just to run the test. But I, I just, I, I want to keep realistic expectations as to maybe this is a ridiculously good idea that's going to add a cool new feature. Maybe we're going to do it and it's going to be zero difference or just dim the image with, with no, with nothing else. Maybe it's not possible because of the way certain things work. I'm not really sure, but I'm going to ask the question for you. And if anybody has a beta firmware, they could have me try. I'll do a live stream just to see what it's like and all that stuff. But it's a really good idea. I just want to make sure that I manage expectations and that this reminds me of half the stuff I come up with that doesn't work at the end of the day. So absolutely zero disrespect or negativity to you. I just kind of wanted to make sure that I, I said everything. I was clear about everything to, to make sure we don't get our hopes up. But I'll see. Who knows? Maybe that's a cool idea and maybe it's something that we'll be using in this uh, at some point in the future. Well, that's it for this time. Once again, I'm probably going to have to skip the Q&As next week, but I'm going to try to put up something fun just to say thank you and sorry for missing a week, but any questions you have, just leave them wherever you found this post, wherever it is that you support, and I'll just check them two weeks from now and, and uh, hopefully have some fun and hopefully see a lot of you over at Retro World Expo. So if you're going to be there, definitely let me know. Come over to say hi. There's going to be a ton of us hanging out. It should be a really good time. So thanks as always, and hopefully I'll see you soon.